Well, I have something at the beginning here where I just need to talk to you as family. Um, my message today, in my message today, I'm going to honor uh, Jesus Angel, my daughter's father-in-law, who um, went to be with the Lord earlier, in, or late August, and uh, he died of COVID. Um, his son, my son-in-law Josh, also got COVID from him, and Really, it was bad. He had to go to the hospital for several days and uh, was very weak, and now he is coming out of it. Alice and I were in Guadalajara, and I, I just actually got back. And um, But for those of you who are worried about his health, um, on the way back from the airport, I treated him to McDonald's, and he ate three Big Macs in one city. <laughs> so that's a good sign. Um, but I, I want to talk, as, as the family, a little about the, va the vaccine. Um, how many know that we trust God, not science? But just because we trust God doesn't mean we're anti-science. Modern science is actually... Um, founded by Christians. Galileo, Newton, Pascal, some of those people recognize that God has put laws into the universe and because they are unchanging because of God's faithfulness that you could observe things and you could test things. And, and so modern science is actually from Christians. Um, trusting God does not mean we don't think God uses doctors and technology sometimes to bring about his will for healing. Va vaccines were discovered in the early in the 19th century, and they have been used to put an end, all, all but put to an end, smallpox, cholera, polio. I'm very used to vaccines because when I go to other countries, oftentimes they require a vaccine for malaria or whatever it is, and I just, you know, they, uh, get the shot. Isn't the new vaccine, the COVID-19 vaccine, isn't that political? And talking about a political. Uh, no, it's not. It was, it was put forward by the Republicans that that's what the Operation Warp Speed was put into place by the Republican Party, and now it's the Democratic Party that is urging us to get vaccinated. So everybody's on the same team with the importance of the vaccination. What is political, and I wanna say this, um, consider that it was a miracle that a vaccine was made so quickly, and that, that God used all the, of the energy and all of the gifts to make this vaccine available um, for us. What is political is whether the government has the right to force people to get vaccinated. And um, we here absolutely believe that we need to follow our conscience. We have supplied letters for religious exemptions for 
people that for whatever reason feel like God doesn't want them to get vaccinated. Um, 1 Corinthians 8 is very clear. When you force someone to do something that's against their conscience, you are actually forcing them to sin. And whether they're right or wrong or they're misguided, if they think something is right or wrong and you force them to do the opposite, you're forcing them to go against their conscience. And that's very serious. And, and our country is really founded. The First Amendment is the freedom of religion, that people get to follow their conscience. And even if you don't agree with them, you give them room to do their thing. And so we have supplied exemption letters for people that for whatever reason feel like God doesn't want them to get vaccinated. Um, but I, I got vaccinated. And I, the, the question is, am I trusting God or the vaccine? Um, well, before I got the vaccine, I experienced, right when COVID started, I experienced fear we didn't know what it was. It was it, uh, how many people were going to die. And, but it was very short. I, I got through that, that, hey, I'm ready to die. <laughs> and if God wants to take me by COVID, that's fine. I'm not going to live my life obeying fear. I'm going to live my life obeying God. And whatever happens, happens. If I perish, I perish. So I was trusting God before I got vaccinated. I, when I got vaccinated in May, um, I was trusting God that the vaccination wouldn't hurt me. I wasn't trusting the vaccination. I was trusting God. And now that I am vaccinated, I am still trusting God. God is my healer. Um, I told everyone when I got it back in May, um, and one of the reasons why I wanted to get vaccinated is I, I didn't want people to be afraid of me praying for them. And... So I just want to encourage you. I don't want you to get COVID. I don't want your family to get COVID. And I, I just really want you to pray about getting the vaccine. And if it is now FDA approved, and um, I just think we should take, take advantage of everything that God is providing. Now, if you have other thoughts and feelings that you would like to communicate to me, you are welcome to email me. Men, if you want, I'm gonna be, Alice is gone this week in Guadalajara still. If you want to come to the, the men's prayer meeting on Tuesday, I'm coming. And then we go to a, a breakfast afterwards and I'm happy to talk about this issue if you have issue with me on this. Um, so that's the family talk, it's over. All right, could we stand to our feet? We are in a series here called The Holy Spirit in You. And this morning's message is called The Making of a Missionary. And we're starting in Acts 9. Right after Paul got converted, Derek did such a great job on the conversion. So here we are, Acts 9, verse 20. At once he, Saul, began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more 
powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. What happened to Paul on the road to Damascus? He retells in testimony form a couple times and you get more details. One of them is in Acts 26. On one of these journeys, I was, he's before Agrippa uh, on trial. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. The Lord replied, now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them. God's going to rescue him from the very people that he's sending them to, to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you for your word. Open our hearts. Speak to each one. Lord, I know this is from you, and I know you've got something for each one. Holy Spirit, help us. Make this an easy place to hear and respond to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Point one, the call of a missionary. The importance of, of the call to missions and to a specific mission field, it, there's no way that I can overestimate how important it is. A missionary functions from that call. It, 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 they are not there to please man. They're not there to meet a need that they thought should be met. It is from a call from God that they got from God that sustains them in difficulty, sustains them in dry times, sustains them when emotions want to send them back. And so there is no substitute for that definite call from God. I always 
when I first got saved, I was reading all these biographies. I wanted to be this great missionary. I wanted to change the world. I wanted to go ever so every missions conference, I would be at the altar. God, give me a call. Even I knew as in my young, zealous self, you need a call. You don't just go. You need, you need to be called. And I remember Bernie Norland preaching on this platform, and he said these words. He said, no one can do more than the will of God. And right as he said that, I knew I wasn't called to the far mission field, that I was gonna be called around here and I needed to deal with it. Um, The call is very, very important. Here's what Paul says in Galatians 1, 15 through 17. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. So it sounds in Acts like he just started preaching in Damascus right away, but he tells us the bigger story. No, first thing I did was I got out and I went to Arabia and I got alone and I did, was not conferring with flesh and blood. I wasn't conferring with what people thought I should do or what people thought about it. I needed to secure what God was calling me to do with just me and God. He came back to Damascus and started preaching in the strength of that call. Call is very important. I want to tell you a little about Jesus. Uh, He was in the late 70s. He was a young man, um, and he was an angry young man. And he was coming up from Mexico illegally. He was running drugs. He was uh, a human, also trafficking, getting human beings in to the United States. He was very gifted musically. He was part of a mariachi band, and sang everywhere, but he was in the midst of a divorce with his beautiful young wife, partly because of his violence. They were separated. They were planning to get divorced. It was just a matter of time. And uh, his wife, Angelica, in, because of the crisis, went to this church that happens to be one of our churches in the, in the Fellowship of Christian Assemblies called Westminster Christian fellowship in Southern California. And she went to this church and under the ministry of Pastor Dick Carlson, she got saved and she got good saved. And Jesus just turned her around and, and, uh, and they, he, she told them all about what was going on and, and they encouraged her to bring her husband to church. And, and she's like, he, he'll never come. He hates white people and uh, he, he will not come. But she went ahead and invited him, and sure enough, he came. And he was overwhelmed by the love. He was overwhelmed by the acceptance of the people, and he ended up giving his life to Jesus. I, I talked to uh, Pastor Dave Carlson. Uh, Dick is not with the Lord, but his son yesterday about this, and um, he said, Jesus got good saved. He said he, he was all in right from the beginning. And Pastor, he, Dave's 
father, Pastor Dick Carlson, recognized right away there was a call to ministry. He, he didn't want to leave the church. He cleaned the toilets. He whatever, Just give me something to do. I need, I, need, I need to be part of what God is doing. And so um, Pastor Dick recognized this and, and uh, said, Jesus, you, you, are, you are called, and um, we need to get you trained. And so he sent him and Angelica, they, they had their, their family had begun as well, to Mexico to a Bible college, and he went there for training to fulfill his, his whatever the call was going to look like. So here's what I've learned about calls, um, and specifically the call of a missionary, that it is a very difficult call. Oftentimes, we think of the cross as something that happens to us, something bad happens to us, some, some sickness, some death, some trouble, some relational thing, and we want to bear that cross, that difficulty, in a way that pleases God and glorifies God. And that is certainly part of the cross. We all have stuff like that in our life that we are we are bearing with. But the cross is more than that. The cross, there's also a cross that's necessary for us to embrace if we're gonna fulfill our purpose. There is a, a cross to, that, 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 that we have that is different than other people's. And what I've learned about the missionary call is it's a difficult cross. It's a much heavier cross than regular people have. And that's why they need support. That's why we come alongside and help lighten it. But this is a very difficult cross. Let's look at Paul. Um, everybody wants Paul's vision. They want to get knocked over. They want to have light. They want to hear the audible voice. They want to see Jesus. Listen, if you understood why he got all that, you might not be that excited. Um, the reason why he got so much glory up front is because of how much he was going to suffer, how difficult it was going to be. He was, uh, we see in the text, uh, right up front, God says, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deliver you from your people and from the Gentiles that I'm sending you to. You are going to be persecuted. You are not going to be understood. You are going to be breaking into new places. He said, Jesus says to Ananias, when he goes to pray for him, I've shown him how much he's going to suffer for me. And you read Paul's writings in 2 Corinthians, and he, he went through lots and lots of difficulties and lots of troubles. Um, but the call, the call kept him going. So after Bible school, Jesus was brought back to Westminster Christian Fellowship, and um, Pastor Dick said, now, now we are ready to send you out, send you and your family out. And they had established uh, a mission in Honduras that was um, thriving. And so they sent this young family to Honduras. Well, this is the early 80s. And it was a very, very difficult time in Honduras. There was... Uh, the Soviet Union at that time was expanding. They had, had already gone into Nicaragua, and now they were coming into Honduras. So America sent all kinds of troops down to Honduras, and it was, it was a war zone. And um, 
they encourage all Americans to leave Honduras. And Josh told me, um, he said, my dad would not leave. God has called me here. This is where we're going to say, this is Honduras's most vulnerable, needy time. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not leaving. God will have to keep us safe. And Josh tells these stories of gunfire around their apartment and things that he saw and as a young kid. And um, he said, when my dad felt like God was calling him to do something, he was absolutely immovable. It didn't matter what man was doing. It didn't matter what was going around. It didn't matter what was going around. The call of a missionary a difficult call. Second, the partners of a missionary. I want you to notice the role of Barnabas. Well, I will do a whole sermon on Barnabas because he's so important, but that's coming in the future. But I want to talk about, I want, I want us to grasp that without Barnabas, there is no Apostle Paul. Without the role Barnabas plays, we don't, you would not be reading letters from the Apostle Paul today. Here's, here's what Barnabas' role was. First, he is the guy in our text that brings him to Jerusalem. None of the apostles trusted him. No one trusted him. We know who this guy is. We know what he's about. This is one more deception, one more way to expose Christians so that he can kill them. He's part of the Pharisaical mafia. We don't want anything to do with him. Barnabas says, no, you have got it wrong. Jesus has met him. Let me bring him to you. And so Barnabas goes and he trusts Paul, and he, and he brings him, and because he trusted them, the apostles started trusting them and welcomed him into their ranks. Then, when he started getting persecuted in Jerusalem, they sent him back to Tarsus, which is where he was from. So, a couple chapters later, uh, a revival breaks out in Antioch, another, it's a Greek city, a very important city, and Barnabas is there, he's in the midst of it, and he needs help, and he remembers Paul. So he goes to Tarsus, finds Saul, says, you need to come with me because you've got a job to do here. So he brings him over to Antioch, and they are, and, and Paul starts helping disciple all of these new converts. Somebody, for you to fulfill your calling, Somebody needs to believe in you. Somebody needs to see what's in you and say, here's an opportunity. Here, come with me. Come. We, we all need a Barnabas, and we all need to be a Barnabas to someone else. But it doesn't stop there. Then, while they're in Antioch, this is in Acts 13, and they're ministering to the Lord and worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit speaks and says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul to the work that I've called them to. And so the church in Antioch prays for them and sends them out. And very soon, Barnabas recognizes the mighty anointing on, he's now called Paul. 
Saul is the Jewish name, but they were going to Gentiles, so they used Paul. And he recognized there is an anointing on him that transcends my anointing. And so he makes Paul the leader. And from then on, whenever it's talked about, it's not Barnabas and Saul, it's, it's Paul, for, Paul first and then Barnabas. Do you know how hard this is for men to defer to someone else? To recognize somebody else has, has a gifting that's not mine, that, is, that transcends my calling. That's what Barnabas does. And uh, he just played a vital role. Paul embraced the need for partnership. Romans 10, 14 and 15. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they not believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Here's the problem with apostles. They're type A. They can get a lot done. And they're not real relational. They're just, they're very driven. And they tend to be very independent because they, they are not going to rely on anyone else. And Paul had to get past that. Because in missions, if you do it all by yourself, you're going to die. So here he says, he gives, he gives how missions works. Nobody can be saved unless somebody preaches to them. And, and, and for, for someone to preach to them, they need someone to send them. That there is this relationship necessary. It's not to, to be out there. You need to be con- connected to someone that is sending you. This is William Carey, who is, who is often called the father of modern missions. In 1792, he went to India, and he got this Baptist society together, and he explained how it works. And, and he, he said, it's like I'm going into a, a dark mine, and, and in that darkness is great treasure that God has in the nations, treasures that are right now hidden in darkness. And he said, um, I am willing to go, but I need you guys to hold the rope. And, and so who's going into that mind? Well, he's, on the, he's the one in the front line, but what's keeping him is, are those that hold the rope. He said, I'll go, you hold the rope. Josh has told stories for years about Jesus planting all of these churches in Honduras. And I'm trying to, in my mind, trying to figure out how did he do it? How, how were there so many churches started by this man? And, and while we were there, I'm, of course, I'm trying to learn as much as I can about Jesus because I really want to give a tribute to him. And so I read this book about Fred Weinberg, Fred Weinberg was the apostle that was sent from Westminster 
Christian Fellowship back in the 60s to start this work in Honduras. And so it's all about his life, and it's absolutely incredible. And, but a lot of the book starts being about Jesus joining him because what, what he was the guy that would set up the big city crusades. He would rent the biggest place, and, and it was a tremendous revival in Honduras. Miracles were happening regularly. Oftentimes, there were more people out of the tent and the building than were inside because they all wanted to be as close to the glory as possible. And Fred Weinberg, would he would, he would get these crusades, he'd get them saved, and then he would go to the next place to start preparing for the next thing, and Jesus was the one that would get them together in groups and start pastoring them until they were self-sufficient. Well, there's another guy that's in the book named Lars, and Lars is from Christian Life Church in Chicago, another FCA church, and he had a construction company, and he had this vision. He wanted to do, he wanted to do everything he could for missions, and so he would come down and he would build the churches. He'd build, bring teams down. And so there, were, there was the apostle, which was Fred Weinberg. Then there was the pastor that would come in. And oftentimes at the big crusades, uh, Jesus would sing because he had a great voice. And, um, and then they would build these buildings. And Jesus was also a welder. He was a master welder. And so he was very involved in the building of these buildings. And then they would, they would leave that church and they would go to the next place. The point is this is uh, there was a team. There was a sending church that sent money, that sent resources. There were different people that were gifted for the beauty of what God was doing um, in Honduras. So I want to talk for just a moment about churches that partner with missionaries. First, I want to talk about the, the sending church, Antioch. So, the church is told it's time. Send them out. They had already received the call from God, and, but now it's the, it's the right timing, and the church helps discern the timing for something to go out. And so they, they lay hands on them, and they send them out. So Paul and Barnabas go out, and they go to all these cities in Turkey, and amazing miracles happen, amazing persecution happens. They get stoned at a couple places. They get imprisoned. It's, it's just a crazy, crazy adventure. And after they go to all these cities, they come back to Antioch. And the Bible says they tell the stories of the grace of God. And then the brothers at Antioch encourage them and they pray for them and they, they, they stay with them and so that their tank can get refilled and then there's another journey that they send them to. The next one is with Paul and Silas and they go out again and they come back to, their, to Antioch. They give the report, they get prayed for, they get filled up again and then they get sent out a third missionary journey. This is all in the book of Acts. So Acts tells us this is, this is how God wants missions to go. This is the first sending church, Antioch. The, the, uh, the Jerusalem church didn't send anybody. They didn't have a vision for it. The, the only reason that the gospel started spreading in Jerusalem is because they got persecuted and they had to leave, and so they started preaching as they went. But intentionally sending someone, the first one is Antioch. 
And so, City Church is called to be a sending church to many of our missionaries. For many of our missionaries, we are their sending church. They were called, we recognize the call, we help get them trained, and we send them out. We lay hands on them, we pray for them, we do everything we can to make them successful. We are holding the rope. They go out, and they go out into all regions of the world. They're in the Ukraine, they're in India, they're in China, they're in Mexico, they're in Ecuador. Our missionaries come from all over the world. And then what our missions conference is, is them coming back to tell the stories. Then them coming back to get refueled. Them coming back and telling us, sharing with us what has happened. And guys, I know COVID was hard for all of you, but you have no idea how hard COVID was in third world countries. A, they were way more shut down than we are here. And just everything that's already difficult became much, much more difficult. And I, I got on calls with them last year and heard the different stories of what's happening. And they, they got, there, there was lots of fruit during that time because it was a shaking of the nation and people needed God. But it was also a time of tremendous demand on their emotional and spiritual resource. And um, so I'm just thrilled that we're having it this year. I've, we've got, it, it goes from the, the 19th to the 26th. I'm bringing in, or we're bringing in two speakers, um, the two Sundays that are not, they are missionaries, but they're not our missionaries to minister to our missionaries. They're amazing speakers. You, you will absolutely love the speakers that we have coming this year. But I want to give you a vision for what the conference is. It's us coming alongside them. One of the ways that you lighten their cross is just listening to their story. There's three nights where you will shift from room to room and they will tell their story and then we go down on the fellowship hall and have a snack um, afterwards and we can just sit with them and be with them and hear their stories and love on their families. And this is a time where we get to refill them. Our Tuesday night prayer meeting is, it's all about the missionaries. They pray for us, we pray for them. And it is a time of refilling. And this is a really, really important time for them. Always, but especially this year. There's a second kind of church um, that partners with missionaries and that's called uh, a supporting church. This is the church at Philippi. I'm not going to take time to read the scripture. Paul is ecstatic about this church at Philippi because they are not the sending church, but they're a supporting church. And they sent finances to him, and because they did, he originally went out as a tent maker where he, he just... I'm going to do this calling however I have to do it. And he worked and did it. But when the Philippians sent their gift, they started supporting him financially, he no longer had to do tents. 
He could full-time do what God was calling him to do. And he tells the Philippian church how grateful he is and how pleasing it is to God that they are supporting him. And so many of our missionaries are not they aren't from this church. They aren't being sent from. We're not the sending church, but we are a supporting church. They've been called from different churches. It takes uh, an army to send out a missionary, and we, we are happy to recognize calls and be part of that. And, and, but any, any missionaries, whether they're sending or, or we're, we're sending them or we're supporting them, either way, they, are, they give us all their financial stuff that's part of us trusting them and, and before we give them money. Everything here is done out of relationship. So we have a different relationship with different missionaries. But part of our holding the rope is financial. And so every year we raise money for the next year of missions. We always have a goal that we set um, for the next year, and not, not, not tomorrow, but a week from Monday, all of the members, if you're a member of this church, you're, you're gonna get a letter that tells this, that this year's goal is $258,000. And what we do is we have these pledge cards, and um, the, re the reason for the pledge cards, well, there's a couple of reasons. One is most people can't give what they want to right now. They don't have that money sitting in their checking account. They have a heart for missions. They want to help, but they can't give everything they want to give right now. And so we have these, we, we certainly want people to feel free to give gifts that week. And if you can give the whole year, great. But people make Pledges, they're called faith pledges, and I want to be very clear on what these are. These are not vows that we need to fear if we break them. They are pledges that it starts with, as God enables me, this is my plan. Well, why, why do we even have those? Here's why. Missionaries live on a budget. <laughs> they need to know for their practical living what they have to live on so that they can budget around it. And so it's extremely helpful to them for when a church says, this, this is what we have raised and pledged for you in the coming year. And, and it, it just gives them peace. How many know missionaries shouldn't be thinking about money all the time? <laughs> They, they should be thinking about the ministry. They should be thinking about what they, they we want to take that away as much as possible. And so that's why we receive these faith pledges. The second Sunday of the missions conference, we will have pledge cards everywhere. Everybody will hold one in their hand and we'll just pray. I, 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 I don't want you to uh, give, actually my, the biggest goal is not 258,000. The biggest goal is that we please God. That each of us just does our part and pleases God. I, I'm not, there's going to be no guilt. There's never any arm twisting. It's just we all get before God. And as Paul had a heavenly vision, we get what we feel like is our part. And we do it and we submit it. And we, we try to get them in by that second Sunday so that we can count them all and rejoice together. We've seen this year after year where God brings in the whole amount and they're supported for another year. And it's, and it's an amazing thing. So that brings us to my final point, which is called doing our part. So here's what he says to Agrippa. He says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. 
Paul's specific vision of his part is actually underneath a more general, larger call to the church. Before Jesus left, this is Matthew 28, he says this, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I want every, every ethnic group preached to and baptize them and make them disciples. All the nations, every person. That's the general call. Now, what's interesting about that call is it wasn't given to Peter or given to John or given to James. It was given to them as a group. You is plural. You together, I've got, a, I've got a vision for you. I've got a purpose for you. I need you to go now and figure out how to preach the gospel to all the world, every creature, and I'm going to be with you always. Uh, we're, you're not going to do it for me. You're going to do it with me. But this is your job on this earth, that you together are to reach the whole world. Paul described it as a debt. Romans 1, 14 in the New King James, it says this, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So the question immediately rises, how can Paul be in debt to people he hasn't met? Well, there, is, there are two kinds of debt. One way is if somebody gives you money, um, or loans you money, then you are in debt to them until you pay it back. But there's a second way that you can say that you're in debt. And that is, if someone gives you something to give to someone else, it could be said you're in debt until you give what you promised to give to that person. Well, in Paul's case, um, what had been given to him was the gospel. The gospel was given to him and he was in debt until he gave it to every person, both the wise and the unwise, both the Jews and the Greeks, that I've got this debt that I need to, I need to, 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 to deliver what God has given me. So I think the easiest way to think about it is FedEx. So you give FedEx a package that's supposed to go to this person over there and you, they are in your debt until they deliver it. You ask them to deliver it, and until they deliver that package on that doorstep, um, they are still in debt. They've got an obligation, if you will, to deliver that package. So, I want you to picture this. God's got a package of grace, of goodness, of salvation and of his love. And it's got an address, and here's the address. Every human being on this planet. And so he's got this, he's got this business called FedEx, and he is, he's got lots of people on this team. There are people that, re, that receive the package and people that train those that are gonna go, and there's those that go and deliver those packages door to door in the United States, and then there's others that, are, that go and deliver those packages overseas, and, but every single human being, God has a package of grace and of love and of salvation. And everyone that's already received that package 
is now part of getting it to the whole world. So this is, this is why God's got a package for your family. He's got a package for your coworker. He's got, and here's, here's how it works. It's not enough that you deliver it to the door. They need to sign for it. He didn't just say, go preach. He said, go preach to every creature and make them disciples and baptize them. So you got to just keep going to the door until they sign for it. You got a package, but we need you to sign for it. This is our job. This is our debt. You're in debt. Okay. All right. I guess I can do that. Family and friends. Oh, I'm sorry. The debt's bigger than that. You, it's not just your family and friends and your coworkers. You're also in charge of giving it to everybody in Indonesia, everybody in India, everybody in China. Pastor Tom, how could I possibly do all that? Thing? Well, this is what missions is. This, this, is, this is why we have to let our hearts get bigger. We have to say, God, God, what is my role in this? What is my part? What, how do I fit into this? We are part of those that go. This church must be a missions church. If we're going to have God's blessing, if we're going to have God's river, if we're going to have God's revival, guys, we live, how many know we live in a very consumer-oriented, entitled culture right now? And, and it's so easy to bring that right into the church. And God's asking us for something more. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. I'm going to tell you one last story. So uh, our trip to Mexico was supposed to be our 35th anniversary trip. And uh, we were, we, we have some friends that their son owns a timeshare, and so we were going to be part of their thing, and they're from uh, Montevideo, and, and so down in Puerto Vallarta, we, we were just having this great week with this luxury hotel, and, and the plan was is that halfway through it, Josh and Ann would come, and they'd bring the kids, and we would have this wonderful time together. And, uh, and in case you're wondering, it, it's, the, it's our 35th anniversary, but it's actually our 37th anniversary because we've been planning this for two years. Anyway, so, um, but with Jesus' death and they, they, it, it, the funeral and all of the, the, the family that came for that, um, we couldn't go to the funeral because there was a lockdown in Mexico and only 10 people could be there, but they, they had to have family there. And so we changed our tickets, went over to Guadalajara, and, um, and so we had to leave the vacation early. Well, the couple that arranged the whole thing, her name is Dawn, and she's kind of the, the main shaker and mover, um, the, the plan was is that on the last day, we would share the expense. And, that, and, and uh, so I had brought a check along to, to whatever half is to, to write it out. And I said, Dawn, here's, here's how it's going to work. Since we're not going to be here at the end, I'm going to leave this check with you. I'm, I'm dating it. I'm signing it. I'm writing your name. I'm leaving the amount empty. You just put in whatever amount my part is. And she's like, you don't need to do that. She said, just send me a check later. No, no problem. I said, Dawn, I hate debt. I hate being in debt. 
this is how I want to do it. And she smiles at me. She says, I'm, I'm exactly the same way. This is exactly what I would do. And, uh, and then just text me whatever the amount is. This is what God is asking from every one of us today. He wants you to date the check. He wants you to sign it. And he wants you to write Jesus. As it's made out to Jesus. And then he wants you to say, Jesus, whatever my part is, you write in the amount. I'm not telling you what I'm going to give. You write in the amount. Guys, God doesn't want Americans to feel guilty that they live in America. He doesn't want you to feel bad that your life is easier than people that live in the third world. Here's what he wants. He wants you to be thankful every day for all of your blessings. He wants to recognize how blessed we are here. And he wants us to be thankful for it. Here's what else he wants. He wants us to be willing to do our part. He's asking for a blank a blank check where he gets to write in what our cross is, what our part of the Great Commission is.